Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Secret Resume podcast, hosted by me, Melody Moore. In this podcast, we explore the people, places, and experiences that have shaped my guests, those which have influenced who they are as people and where they are in their work life today. You can listen in as we have a rich exploration of often unexamined and undiscussed, but very important aspects of their lives, or as I like to call it, their secret resume. My guest today is Kate Thomas. Kate is the founder of Newland Rock and an executive coach. She has spent over 20 years consulting with organisations regarding talent-centric strategies, leadership effectiveness and organisational development. Her career has spanned multiple geographies and sectors, spending significant time within fast-growing markets and advising businesses that are accelerating through change. Leaders and organisations choose to work with Kate when their role requires them to change gears, strategically advancing, diversifying portfolios, growing teams and challenging dynamics. Her qualifications include a Bachelor of Science, she's a qualified co-active coach and positive intelligence coaching partner. She's also accumulated several psychometric certifications, which support her behavioural science practice as an executive coach and senior leader assessor. Welcome, Kate. Really excited to have you on the Secret Resume podcast. I think you've got a really interesting story and I'm sure podcast listeners will be fascinated to hear your secret resume and sort of the people and places um, and experiences that have really influenced who you are, what you're doing now. So should we dive straight in? Please do. I'm I'm really looking forward to this, Melody. So um Thank you for inviting me and suggesting that I do this with you. I think what people have found uh, so far is that it's it's helped them or forced them to reflect on things that we don't often um, reflect on and sort of look back over our lives and think about maybe people we don't think about that much, but who have influenced us in some way or other, both positive and negative. But let's um, let's start with your uh, childhood. Um, you said that you uh, you were born in Wales. You spent a couple of years living in Wales, uh, but then your family emigrated to Australia when you were three years old, did you say? Yeah, I was about three. And uh, maybe to add an extra layer of context to that, my my parents were young. So in those days... <laughs> It seemed reasonably normal to have young parents. Obviously, things have shifted somewhat. Um, So my parents were in their early 20s and made a decision to want to um, create a better life for themselves and me. Um, They emigrated from South Wales, Swansea, um, to Australia. And I think about that now you know, as as an adult in my 40s and with a young family myself. And I think, wow, how did they do that? But they did. And we spent um, several years um, in Australia. So that's that sort of first change in my life. Yeah. I was just saying that you still have a Welsh accent, though. So you did that come from did you always did you have an Australian accent when you lived there? I'm interested. Oh, I had a I had a very full um Australian accent. Um I remember 
my parents, um, even though we were far away, you know, that that also meant that when we came home, because I think they always felt Wales was home for them. When we came home, we would be home um, for quite a while. So I'd often um, go to the local school, which actually was just across the road from my grandparents' house. And I'd be in that school for, you know, a couple of months, maybe. And I do remember um, that, you know, here's Kate and maybe that little stage moment of the headmaster introducing me and saying hello. And I had this very clear Australian accent and there was quite a bit of laughter <laughs> from, from the other um, pupils. And um, so, yes, I definitely had the Australian accent. And in fact, what's quite funny, um, I seem to pick up accents. So it very much depends on who I'm around. Um, so I've often uh, picked up accents of friends, maybe that I end up hanging out with on a holiday. I lived in Ireland for quite a long time. So if I'm angry, I'm told by my husband that I sound Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so I seem to embody different accents depending on what's going on. Um, so I call my accent a bit of a mongrel accent because quite often people are a bit unsure of um, what it is. But I agree, there's a there's definite Welshness in it. Well, it's funny when we were just talking through some of your stories earlier, I hadn't realised quite how much we have in common and quite how much our lives have uh, had in common. So Swansea being one of those places, it's also somewhere I've lived. So perhaps I, I hear the Swansea accent maybe because I lived there. Um, but you you mentioned, you know, travel, you know, and, and that was quite an adventurous thing that your parents did. There, there's definitely a theme going through your uh, through your life of travel and living in different places. Um, but you also mentioned your grandmother being quite a um, uh, an important person in your childhood. Yeah, important person in my childhood and an important person in my life. Um, I'm so lucky. One of the benefits of um, of having young parents is that, you know, you do end up having your grandparents around you for that bit longer. My grandmother mm. celebrates her 89th birthday this year. And so she's, you know, she's been that constant maybe in my life, um, but not just that constant figure. Her her approach to life has always really inspired me. Um, she's always given me quite a lot of her, shared her wisdom, um, which has influenced my thinking um, and has been an um, inspiration and also a place that I've gone when things haven't been going so well um, to feel that strength and comfort. So she is that character that can bring so much to a conversation. Fantastic. Mm, she is fantastic. 89 years old. She's 89, um, wow. coming up in March. And um, she's one of four sisters. And I often think, you know, when it comes to uh, moments like International Women's Day, there will be a time that I will share a photograph of her with her sisters. Because they kind of, to me, look like the olden day. And I say olden day, but in those days, that time Spice Girls, they all had careers, <laughs> they all had families, they were all doing something that was pushing boundaries. You know, they, they didn't push the boundaries so much that they ended up, you know, working in various countries around the world, but they pushed the boundaries within their sphere. Mm. And I think that always proved to be an inspiration for me as well. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I had my um, godmother 
was similar in that sense to me. She was quite different to the rest of the family. She um, she had she went off to Africa, um, and my godmother was the same age as my grandmother. So you know, at that time, quite unusual for a young woman to go off and work as a teacher in Africa. And I think that always inspired me um, in seeing that that women can do interesting things. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Women can do interesting things. I think so. And maybe also um seeing seeing some realities of also the challenges of pushing maybe some of those boundaries and also having some of that traditional responsibility of um of family. So I think they also for me showed up as that generation that started to stretch themselves in both directions. And um great to have had that in my youth because that became quite a normal for me you know I've actually I've you know I've grown grown up in a hard-working family across everywhere I look everybody was working juggling various different jobs um doing the best that they could to provide something more mm. yeah and and you um you came back to Wales didn't you to study university at university a bit so before you, that oh okay yeah, yeah. so the yeah, family so came back my parents came back so I'm an only child so family small myself my mum my dad very close um close together um we did come back um my father had some ill health and it just meant that being so far away um I, I would assume and now know as an adult, they, you know, they felt exposed, um, maybe a bit too much of a risk. So reluctantly, they came back, mm -hmm. came back to Wales. And, um, you know, from that sort of young child, you know, eight, nine, 10 age group, I can't quite remember, until university days. And in fact, university, I did spend quite a bit of time in Swansea. Um, that decade, so let's say between 10 and 20, I was living in Swansea with my parents down the road from my grandmother um, and that was life. Mm. And you mentioned the Gower Peninsula being a particular place that is special to you. Oh, it's hugely special. Um, you know, one of the benefits of being in somewhere like Swansea and um, that's off that South Wales coastline, it is just magical. and. Mm. I always remember my parents being, um, you know, being a big, they always used to, we always used to go places ultimately. We always used to be in the car driving off. And even I remember on the weekends, myself and my dad sometimes just used to get in the car and go for a drive. And we'd end up somewhere around the Gower coast. So for me, when I think about the Gower, and I remember sort of standing on beaches like Rosilli Bay, Three Cliffs, and just looking at this beauty and just looking at the space around me, but also loving how rustic it, it is. I was going to say was, it still is. <laughs> you know, it's sort of untouched. You don't see much of a Costa Coffee when you're down at the Gower. Um, and that beauty for me, just um, it just brings a huge urge, this feeling inside of freedom and feeling very much alive. Mm. And... Um, you know, so much so that, you know, I've traveled, I've been really fortunate. I've, I have, I have seen a lot of the world. Um, I still go there and I still feel well. And it's somewhere that we go as a family quite, quite frequently. It's quite wild, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's kind of a hidden gem, I think, still. Lots of yeah. people, they think of Cornwall, um, 
but actually I think South Wales is just as beautiful as Cornwall and a lot less busy. We shouldn't tell people that though. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a lot less busy. Um, and in fact, it's funny you mentioned Cornwall because we do go to Cornwall maybe more now at the moment because there is a, uh, there's a young one in the house and I probably find Cornwall when the when the weather isn't on our side, Cornwall does actually come up as maybe being the easier option. But, oh, I don't get the same uh, same gut reaction as I do when I spend time in the Gower. And in the Gower, I don't know why, but, you know, it really is that sort of you get up in the morning, shove on a pair of jean shorts, stick on a T-shirt and just go. You know, that's, it's, that's what it is. It's like just put your hair in a hairband, pack some sandwiches and just off you go for the day. It feels very, as I say, it feels free. Something a bit famous five about it, isn't there? You just take your, yeah. <laughs> take your sandwiches and your dog. Um, That's and right, and the an dog. Adventure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell me, um, so after university, so you were uh, studied, what did you study? At oh, I did a Bachelor of Science, um, which was a hybrid between maths and business. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. It was, yeah. That's a, that gives you an indication. My my brain can be very analytical, very technical, um, and then it goes into maybe its creative zones. And actually, the the even the university degree that was that was quite a discussion at home, um, because I was also very interested in the arts, um, and I had been doing sort of maybe more of the drama. I, I was quite lucky. I, I had a quite a nice income as a teenager modeling for different things, which was very handy to pay for the likes of university. Mm. So I was quite unsure of what path I was going to go down um, and chose the management science with a bit of a nudge from my dad, just saying, you know, that's uh, that's a differentiator get the maths get the business and then think after that what it is that you want to do you can always go into the arts and study that as a as an extra thing so um I think he was right yeah so you um in your 20s you said you ended up in Dublin how did that come about yeah so Dublin gosh it feels a little bit like a spiritual home for me Dublin um so South Wales, some some listeners may know this, is densely populated with a lot of Irish families. And in fact, where I'm from in South Wales, Swansea, and the area in Swansea used to be called Green Hill because it was right at the docks. And so when Irish families were leaving or individuals in um, Ireland were leaving for looking for work, etc., Swansea was one of those places. So... That also means in terms of my family, we've got quite a lot of Irish history. Um, my grandmother on my father's side is from Limerick, um, big family connections, and equally on my mother's side, Waterford, Wexford. So whenever I went to Ireland, um, I always felt, just felt very um, comfortable there, really comfortable. And so after university, um, I had the opportunity to go there and, and that was also due to being in a relationship with somebody who was going to work there. And I went over and I thought, well, this sounds interesting. It was um, start of it was 2020 timeline. No, beg your pardon, it was 2000, not 2020, <laughs> that's just passed. So it's that 2000, I just graduated in 2000. And it was also at the start of something which is called then the Celtic Tiger. Mm -hmm. 
So this graduate, which is me, always had work experience. I've literally always worked. I've always had a job. Um, but this would have been the first time to then go into something that would be career orientated. And there was lots of opportunity. So long story short, you know, for personal reasons, I was attracted to spend some time in Ireland, but then also from a practical sense of work and career and opportunity, Dublin did seem to open quite a lot of doors. And it was either Dublin or London. And I'd had quite a lot of time in London, as I mentioned, fortunate extra cash modeling and earning a bit of money. Um, I'd been in London a lot. I don't know. I, did, I felt more, felt like Dublin was worth a go. And so it was very much that. I'd give it a go. I thought one or two years. I didn't think I'd be spending my whole 20s there. And what did you do for work when you were there? So my first job, first job was with a, um, an IT company. <laughs> but not being particularly techie savvy, but the role wasn't tech. Um, I worked there for a short while. And then I moved into the recruitment industry. And that actually was this starting point for me, feeling as though I was involved in a sector. And I say a sector, this people-orientated sector, this talent sector, it felt, it felt good. So mm. I started off as a recruiter and um, I was pretty good at recruitment. I did really well. Um, I was, yeah, I did very well. I went up the, you know, went up the ranks pretty quickly, ran some pretty significant um, departments, number of people working for me at a, at, a, at a young age you know I'm about 26 I had you know P&R responsibility of big sum of money and um, about 17 people in my team um that was young but it can time, be I quite shocking young. isn't it when you look back and think gosh they trusted me with this stuff and when when you look back now you feel it was young at the time you don't feel that you're young but when no I you didn't feel look it back, I felt very confident and capable yeah what was it do you think that made you a good recruiter oh um whilst I was financially motivated um because I've always been financially independent and recruitment does allow you to earn a good wage at a young age um it wasn't just about the target and the bonus for me I became very um connected with the, with, with the individuals so I found myself just naturally being more inquisitive of wanting to understand the type of work that they were interested in and just having that broader perspective, um, which, you know, as you know, from where I am now and what I do for a career, it was quite early for me. I was mm -hmm. always like curious. Oh, okay. You know, why did you leave that job? Tell me a bit, a bit more about what you're interested in. And that was just a natural conversation for me in my twenties. Um, equally, I think I had, you know, I had a reasonable amount of confidence to meet with organizations and companies. I was always comfortable having that corporate conversation to understand what they needed from a people, you know, a person, mm. what you need for that role. So it, it was those formative years, which, which really do lend themselves well to what I'm doing now. And, and also, you know, I talk about my raising. I'm I'm from a commercial family. You know, I'm from quite an entrepreneurial family in lots of ways. So business has always been a conversation. So you bring the three of them together because recruitment is also about business. You know, it's not just about um, understanding what people want to do for a career. You've also got to sell that person, and you do have revenue and and sales targets. So it's a nice combination. Where do you think that? Where do you think the confidence came from? You've always struck me 
Uh, so you and I work together. That's how we know each other. You've always struck me as a confident person. Where do you have you always felt confident, and where do you think that's come from? Um, now I think about it, that it it would it would have to be a lot to do with how I was raised, and maybe the way of which I was raised. You know, I talk about my grandmother being a big inspiration for me, but my parents equally. I, I'm, you know. Swansea is a small town, um, but I was never raised to think or feel as though that was my limit. Um, so I suppose I was always encouraged to give things a go. Um, you know, just some basic things. Like I remember being a child at school and you had to, we had some, you know, classes that were either needlework or technology. I really wanted to go to technology but no other girl was going to technology. And so the teacher was trying to say to me, well, maybe you should go to needlework. And there's nothing wrong with needlework. In fact, I actually did a bit of both. I love the creative side of needlework. I still remember a cushion I made, but I really wanted technology. Um, and my father went up to school and said, well, she should be doing technology. So I was, I always had this sort of belief that, you know, one, being a female, that doesn't stop you, um, give things a go, allow yourself to take a risk. Um, and I, you know, I think there is in, in us and who we are, there are those DNA characteristics that are just there as a child and I've always been I think, yeah, there's been a confident edge to me, but there have been moments in my life where that confidence was stripped completely. So it's, it's, a, you know, it's there. I know it's there when I need it, but I'm, I'm equally quite sensitive and I'm quite aware of situations. I can be knocked as well. So, um, yeah, bit of both. So you said um, during your time in Dublin that uh, your girlfriends that you had at the time were a really important part of your life there. Do you want to say a bit about that? Yeah, look, absolutely. And um, they're still a big part of my life. Um, I think for several reasons, you think about the age that we were, those formative years of turning into an adult, you know, 20s onwards, you're, you're experimenting with life, you're experiencing things in life, and you're doing it together. And this group of girls that I'm referring to in particular, we work together as well. So we we've we've built our careers side by side we're incredibly supportive of each other's careers we all we're all reasonably ambitious we're all doing something similar albeit a little bit different um and the good thing is we get on we have a really good laugh we can laugh at each other and with each other um but ultimately I know they've got my back and that for me is incredibly important so that loyalty that sits within this friendship group um, and possibly that's also, you know, I'm an only child. So I've always had, I wouldn't say I've always had lots of friends. I'm social. I like having community around me. I really like to um, know people and get to know people, but I don't need to be around a lot of people. But my friendship groups, are, uh, yeah, they, they are important to me and I, I, I really value them. And so this group of girls, through the highs and the lows, and all of the stuff that goes in between, they've always been there. So should we talk a little bit about a, a high-low? <laughs> yeah. Um, you got married at 25, is that yeah, right? Whilst you are in Dublin? Whilst I was in Dublin, that's right. A childhood sweetheart. Okay. Mm. And is that the reason you moved to Dublin? 
Yeah, it was definitely an opportunity. I say an opportunity that sounds so formal. It was uh, the opportunity is in the right words. I would probably wouldn't have thought of Dublin unless that was happening. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a a young romance, and I say young, you know, through university and um and then beyond, somebody that I'd known actually all through school. So, you know, we're talking someone that I knew well. Um was going there and I thought yeah great I'm really keen to be with you and I love the idea of um giving Dublin a go we did we got married when um we were 25 I'm, I'm useless for dates I think it was 25 or maybe we were 26 maybe I blocked out the date for a reason <laughs> <laughs> because it was um yeah it was one of those decisions that felt right at the time um but it moved swiftly in the wrong direction mm-hmm Hmm. So not a long-lived marriage. Not a long-lived marriage, a long relationship. Um, because, you know, I also think when you have that childhood sweetheart and you're growing up with that person, um, and you're moving somewhere with that person, you know, I'd, I'd say probably at, at least seven years of my life was formally with this person. Um, and at that age in life, that feels like a long time. Mm. Well, it is um, percentage-wise, isn't it? Yeah, ex yes, exactly. At that time, there was a big chunk of my life had been with this person. And so, you know, the marriage was marriage was a wonderful celebration. Um, but I think it was only three months later that um, I found out that it had all just been, well, a lie really I felt like as if I had been living a lie and then it swiftly moved into actually feeling as though I was living in EastEnders it was the most traumatic heart-wrenching situation I've ever been in and yeah it knocked it knocked the legs from under me I I mm -hmm. can't express how much shock I felt and how much how much confidence I lost in myself, but also how much confidence I just lost in life. Mm. I was like, wow, is this possible? Can people actually really do this? Um, and it took a long time, really did take a long time for me to, one, shake that off, but two, get to a stage in my life and realize that whilst that moment I call it a moment because it is just a moment in what I hope to be a long life. That moment has brought me so much more than I ever thought my life would be. I would not be where I am now and I would not have experienced what happened next if that had not happened. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a little bit spiritual. Something that had happened, I'd lost my grandfather very suddenly, my grandmother's husband, a, 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 a huge person in my life. I'd lost him very suddenly. And it was literally weeks after that, I was not feeling good about my marriage. I don't know. Maybe there's a connection there. Mm -hmm. But I think now as I look and I reflect back, what happened was supposed to happen at the mm -hmm. time. I completely lost myself. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it in the moment, no. does it? No. No. The confidence that you refer to. Yeah, that that just did not show up for quite a bit after that. Mm -hmm. 
but then it showed up in a vengeance <laughs> once it came back <laughs> once it came back um it came back and I'd say my 30s I very much lived with that mindset of you've got this Kate I was reading um a book uh the other day and they talk about that from a sort of uh, nervous system um resilience perspective that actually um it being knocked and having those uh bad times actually builds your resilience and builds your confidence so it's almost like it's not tested until you know um it's like yes. building a muscle you know when our muscles tear as they build and and that's the same with our nervous system our ability to self-regulate comes from being knocked at various times which i thought was interesting i think what it also do it does and what it did for me it built a level of robustness and perspective um you know, in fact, I can't even, I, I, I don't watch soaps anymore because it's just, you know, the drama, the constant drama. So it's got to be something pretty big now to knock me. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, yeah, you become a bit more robust. Mm -hmm. So tell me, you, you, part of, I guess, what, what subsequently happened is you went off and took a year traveling um, when you were 30, is that right? Yeah, so there's a, you know, I um, I had quite a bit of a drama to sort the sort of legalities out of this relationship. And I remember we, we you know, we had a, we had a home, we bought a home, it was, you know, to be the family home type of thing. And um, once all of that was sorted, there was a, you know, that sum of money that you have to sort of agree between you. I remember having it. And um I didn't want to use it for anything that would be hard you know, like maybe buy another house, for example, or something. I just didn't want that. I didn't want the association. But I also knew that I needed to do something for myself. So that became the nest egg to allow me to take a year off. And I used that money. I literally traveled in style. Um, and I aligned it with my 30th. And um, off I went. I, I, I remember I, I wasn't planned to go off for a year. I was working in an organization, which I absolutely loved and I had a great job. I had a great network around me. And I remember talking to my boss at the time and just explaining who had been, you know, who, who also knew all the different changes that had been going on. And I, you know, I said, well, I really feel like as if I'd like to take a bit of time out just to explore and just to do something different. Could I have a three month sabbatical? This is before those things were even in contracts where you can, you know, where it's something that is done. It was quite different maybe to ask for these things. I remember a lot of people thinking, are you mad? You know, you're walking away from a great role. Um, you've got a good life. Like, what are you thinking? And um, no, I just felt like as if I needs to do it. I remember thinking if I don't do it now, I probably never will. Mm. So I was awarded the three month sabbatical. And then we had that economic crash. And mm -hmm. so whilst I was actually away on my three month sabbatical, the world was falling apart economically. Um, and I, I skipped all of that because I just carried on traveling. We made an agreement that it was okay to carry on going and let's chat when I get back. And, um, <laughs> and so I did, I just carried on going. Mm. And that you seems that you went you Australia, you Asia, US, you traveled around a lot. I did. And yeah. that sort of 
meant that you ended you then subsequently lived in a number and worked in a number of different countries do you want to just say a bit about mm. yes those? so this sort of year off it was um it was just to you know see where see the where the wind takes me um see where you end up go with that flow and um I ended up back in Australia Australia was part of the trip whilst I'm in Australia and it's interesting it's the first time I've been back there since being a child and I I you know, I remember my mum and my dad in particular, they, you know, I could tell that they were thinking, wow, she's going back. I wonder if she's going to stay. <laughs> um, and so I spent um, just shy of five years um, living and working in Australia. Absolutely loved it. And um, the job I had then allowed me to see a lot of the country. Um, so I was working and traveling, which just suited me perfectly. Um, and I was living a great life really great um and I didn't plan to necessarily leave Australia as such I didn't really have a plan I think one of the things that changed me is I was quite planful before I would be quite structured on my career and thinking these are things I want to achieve that changed I decided mm. just to put that to one side and just live and see what happens why do you think that was what changed to make you change it changed because that shift and what happened with the relationship that went south was probably that moment of realizing you can plan as much as you like. You don't know what's going to actually come through the door or what will show up. And whilst you're planning, you're missing out on so much because you're focused so much on the plan. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to miss anything else. So the plan went to one side I still remained focused on my career. I was doing very well in Australia. I had a good job. Um, I was really enjoying my work. Um, and the role that I had in Australia was broadening out. So I had an Asia Pacific responsibility. I was spending more time in Asia um, and that's a growing market. And what I was really loving about Australia, uh, Asia in particular was this emerging market, dynamic, fast pace, companies making decisions quickly and um, being quite entrepreneurial in my own thinking on how to maybe, you know, work on solutions. And I'd move more then into what we would call consulting into that mm -hmm. people consulting space. And um, I just carried on enjoying that journey um, and, and really enjoying all of the experiences that went along the way. And that took you via Singapore to Hong Kong. Yeah, that's right. So there was an opportunity to join Hay Group, which is where we met. Exactly. And the opportunity was to join them in Singapore um, to help with a particular sector, which was like a um, uh, for global organizations, multinational companies, because Singapore is at the regional headquarters for any of your global businesses. So they have an they're based in US, they'll have something in the UK. And then if they're in Asia, Singapore is very attractive. And a lot of expats are there. Um, it's in a very attractive place to live and work. And so with that being an opportunity and knowing I knew at that point in my career, I wanted to, I wanted to deepen my understanding, I wanted to have broader conversations with the clients. So I consciously moved out of what then was a very senior level in recruitment into Hay Group. Um, that's how I ended up in Singapore. And um, life went really well from that. Well, life was going very well before that, I must say. 
um, and then it sort of went in its next direction from a personal perspective in terms of um, relationship and life and um, deciding to trust again, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And that is how you ended up in Hong Kong then? Or was the relationship Singapore, Hong Kong? Yeah, the, yeah, the relationship was um, Singapore. There was an opportunity from a work point of view to go to Hong Kong. And when you're in Singapore, Singapore and Hong Kong kind of is discussed like as if you're just getting on a bus to go <laughs> to, what, to one or the other. They're, you know, it's quite transient between the two, even though it's probably six hours door to door yeah. and requires a three and a half hour flight. Um, so it wasn't a big conversation from a work point of view to go there because from a from a work point of view, in it when you're working in Asia, you are working across a big territory. And it's so diverse. You can't experience the diversity unless you live there and and, mm -hmm. and feel it for yourself. So Hong Kong happened, and um Hong Kong had a sort of special place for me because when I was taken that year, um, Hong Kong was my last stop before flying home to spend um, a few months actually at home. And I hadn't done that since my twenties being with my family. I remember phoning my mum saying, I love this place. This is great. This is Hong Kong. I had this really good feeling there. And she said, you better get on that plane tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I will, I will, but I feel like I'm coming back. And um, I did, you know, it was years later that I actually went back there and lived and I lived there a short while by comparison to other places, it was a couple of years in that typical high rise, very small flat, exceptionally expensive, um, and just really enjoyed um, the variety there. Beautiful place. It's the only time I've experienced a typhoon was in Hong Kong, being ah. in a hotel, being like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, we had a few of those as well. It's... Um, the beauty of Hong Kong, you can be in this sort of hustle and bustle of these narrow lanes and you've got maybe a really fancy designer store with then some shacks serving up some food right next to it. And then you get into a taxi, you drive maybe 15 minutes and then you've just literally got the most wonderful hikes and beaches on your doorstep. And I, I remember thinking this really is some place I could stay here a while. Yeah, special place in the world, Hong Kong. And then what what caused you to come back then to London? Oh. How long were you in Hong Kong? Uh, well, in Hong Kong, a few years. Um, there was a sort of a work opportunity to come back and maybe just in terms of where we were at in life. So when I say we, myself and my husband, because um, I married in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So Hong Kong is a special spot. Um, and I think we thought, well, if you don't leave now and make this move might never do it. You can sort of get um, trapped in a good way in Asia. Financially, mm. it's very comfortable. Um, and um, and as I say, from a work point of view, it was the, the right thing to do. From a family point of view, we felt like as if we were ready to be a bit more stable. Mm -hmm. And um, London became that place. Mm. And I said back to London, but it wasn't back, was it? it was back to the mm. UK, but you'd not lived in London before. It was a very strange time. You know, I was saying to lots of friends, family were, you know, moving to the UK and lots of people would say, oh, you're moving home. You must be really excited. And I, you know, I, I think to myself, home, really? 
when I've been out of the UK since I was 21, um, London has never been my home. As I said, I studied a bit there um, in a university way. I was back and forth there for little bits of work, but we're talking as a young person, so it's never been my home. But always lived in big cities. So I was looking forward to London and spending time living in London. Um, and we were there for about five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a big change in life, London. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned uh, earlier that there's a little one in the house now, but the journey to motherhood wasn't necessarily an easy one. <sighs> no, it was one of those moments where I remember actually sitting there going, really, have I not had to deal with enough? <laughs> Could I not just be given a break? Um, no, pregnancy um was 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 very very hard um unfortunately I experienced multiple losses and you know that sort of um passion for life um started to um started to leave me quite a bit I was feeling um no, exceptionally distraught. And and probably the first time that I started to think, wow, your body actually isn't capable of everything. It had done so well. It had given me lots of lots of strength. But I was faced with a situation when my body wasn't doing what I was asking it to do. Mm. Must have been really tough. It was. It was really tough because um like anybody who has experienced this, and I know many people do, unfortunately for me, you know, I've got a network of friends who are really open and we talk. So I wasn't alone, but when you were in it, it just feels hard. And um, I was probably experiencing more than most of that hardness. Mm. Um, and in that, you know, um, still working, um, you know, big jobs in the work that we do, Mm -hmm. companies that are pretty demanding um and life just felt really strange because all of a sudden this sort of freedom of in, just just freedom of doing random things just suddenly became so hard because I was going through um IVF to also try and help with the with the pregnancies so you just become this walking calendar and you think wow I I can't even I don't actually know what weekends I would be able to do X, Y, Z. I actually found myself um, retreating quite a bit. And, and Hong Kong for me, then it sort of represents a lot of that time. Um, I probably found myself meeting new people less, sort of socially didn't really feel um, that I was in the mood maybe, but also my body just wasn't in a good place. It had, you know, it had, it had gone through so much. So when we were coming back to London, I was coming back with that weight. Mm. And I remember feeling exhausted, really, really exhausted. Yeah. And at, at a point that um, we'd made a decision to, you know, just stop with the, focus of it and I actually I remember I was at my cousin's wedding he got married abroad took myself to the beach 
And I was watching this, looking at this beautiful sunset and I wasn't in a good place myself. And I remember thinking, I need myself back. So I had one of those conversations with life and just said, okay, you've said, you, you, you dealt me some decent cards. So I'm going to thank you for those. And I'm going to say, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live a great life. I won't be a mum in the traditional sense. I have two beautiful, wonderful stepdaughters. Mm-hmm. I thought I'm really lucky to have them. Um, this might not be for me. And it's very strange, you know, um, I might've been pregnant at that time because Lois did come into my daughter's called Lois and she did come into the world just before my 40th. Mm-hmm. Mm. I did not have one of those pregnancies where you, you know, you say to your partner, I'm pregnant and we have a big hug and a kiss. It was <laughs> none of that. It was like, I'm pregnant. And the fear on oh. my partner's face is quite evident because um, it was, you know, for me and for him, of course, it's not just on me, but physically it was, it was becoming really tough. Mm-hmm. but she's here she's here. and by goodness is she here my <laughs> god she is a force and I think to myself I probably need to be at this age <laughs> to, to to have the self-management around me to uh, be your mum yeah. because uh, she is such a beautiful personality which comes with a lot of vibrancy yeah yeah so talk to me um then about where you are now so how long has Newland Rock been in existence? You know, what caused you to set up uh, your own business? Just tell me a bit about that. Yeah. Um, well, I celebrated on LinkedIn, you know, I've become a bit sort of uh, social, socially savvy, maybe. You have to when you decide to set up on your own. Yeah. And those that know me well know that I gulp and I go, oh, goodness, what am I posting? And it's all sort of quite personal stuff. But we did celebrate two years um in January of this year so we're still in January in this recording so it's two years of setting up the business and um, maybe more like three years in the making um and it wasn't a it was not planned um at all there was some changes that were taking place in the organization that we both worked in right in the middle of the pandemic so you know life has turned upside down And then completely out of the blue, I received this phone call to be explained that these things are happening, there's changes that are happening, and, you know, you're at risk. And I just remember thinking, what? (laughs) Um, And just from a life point of view, I was feeling like I was only getting back into a bit of, Lois was at an age where she was still quite young, but I I think I was only six months back from maternity leave. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wow, okay, right. Um, So you deal with that bolt out of the blue and that shock, you know, you kind of process that. And then the source for me was, okay, what am I going to do? And I I was not sure. So I'm a big fan of coaching. You know, one of the reasons why I, I love executive coaching is because I have benefited so much from coaching. And so with my coach, we spent quite a lot of time thinking about what it was that I didn't want. So we didn't go with the what it was that I wanted because I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know. We went with what I didn't want. What I didn't want anymore. What were the things that because of this, did I have an opportunity to say no to now? That's what led me to gaining extreme clarity on forming Newland Rock being the right thing for me. Yeah. 
and um so far so good and most definitely the right decision just for what I want out of life and what I want out of my career and what is that what's really giving you joy in running Newland Rock ah it has a lot to do with being able to have your own voice and being able to shape solutions with clients in a creative way that just that you know is the right thing to do so I suppose it's because I'm able to bring all of these experiences not just work you know that 20 plus year career but life as well into solutions that feel more immersive and also I'm able to really I'm really able to partner with the clients because if I say yes, that I'm going to work with you on X, Y, Z, well, I'm with you. I'm right mm-hmm. with you side by side, me and the group of experts that I work with, you know, yeah. our skin is in the game. And that I feel for myself personally makes such a big difference to the joy that I'm getting, the richness that I get from the work that I'm doing. And where next? Where you said uh, a while back that you you'd given up with the plan um, uh, earlier um, in your thirties. Do you have a plan? Do you have a view of where's next? I have. Um, I have a vision of what's possible. So it's less of a plan and more of a. This feels as though we could go in this direction. And the business has had organic growth. It's not been that I've sat there and gone, okay, this quarter, we must achieve this and this and this. Uh-huh. There's been none of that. But also I do have a business mind. I have to put a business hat on. I have to think about what it is that we, we and I say we, I call it we because it is we. I, I, I deliver a lot of the work that I, that, I, that I agree on, but I am a we because there are always other experts that need to come into the fold. So it's that collaboration um, mm. that excites me about where things can go. And it's also maybe um, continuing to do things I don't mean differently for the sake of doing it differently. And I don't want to suggest that all of a sudden everything that I work on is, you know, blue sky thinking and has never been done before. But to test out different theories and to bring in different ways of working, I just think that we'll just, we'll grow. And so the idea for the business is to reach more clients who who really want to invest in making a difference with their people and in particular for me it's leaders it's leadership Mm -hmm. effectiveness if we can get leaders to be able to shake things up in the right way the ripple effect which we talked about recently is huge and that I'm really passionate about I'm from a working class family my family have all worked exceptionally hard all their lives and I am quite passionate about environments that we work in being positive for people we're people we're human beings we all need to be in good working environments and it's the leaders that make that happen so I want to get to root cause and I want to get to leaders I agree so I have two final questions for you the first one is if you could think of a a strap line 
uh, or a title for your story, what might that be? You take yourself with you. Mm. Funnily enough, that's very similar to what someone else said. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That comes from my grandmother. Yeah. yeah. The second one I was, th I, when you said it, the second one could have been, remember to look up. Mm. When you look up, and this was something that my grandmother said to me when I was about to board that plane to go around the world on my own. Remember to look up, Kate. Why? <laughs> Why do I need to look up? So I trip? No, because you slow down. Mm. And you see what's going on around you. Okay. Final question. Uh, if you were to say something to your younger self, now it doesn't have to be a childhood self, it could be uh, any younger time for you, what would you say? Go with the door that's open. Mm. We can overthink, we can overanalyze. Often going with that door that's open, see where it takes you, enjoy that journey. But by opening the door, it just takes you to somewhere else. And there is always a build. I love that. I really love that. So thank you, Kate. Sorry, we've gone slightly over time, but it's just been so fascinating. And I wanted to make sure that we covered everything. Fascinating sounds funny. My life is fascinating. I think it's a, <laughs> you know, it has been reasonably colourful. It's, um, it's been really enjoyable talking about it. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It was a little while ago that I had this conversation with Kate and just listening back to it now, I really loved hearing and reminding myself of the conversation of how she's really bounced back from a number of very challenging times in her life and how that's taken her, even though they were difficult at the time, has taken her to much better and happier times and places. I really also love what she was talking about at the end about her work and how she really likes working with leaders and her purpose is really to help leaders so that they can create environments that are good for people. And the final thing that I really enjoyed was her, um, her advice to her younger self to go with the door that's open. I'm a great believer in that. I often say to people that uh, we shouldn't be pushing water uphill um, and that we should be um, sometimes taking the easier path is the, the right path to take. So thank you, Kate. I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Secret Resume. If you did, remember to like, share, comment and subscribe as that helps people like you find people like us. <laughs>